being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong all right so my sections are going to deal with dan Aykroyd, his family and then a few interesting tangents related to both so going through dan Aykroyd's life here he was born in 1952 in ottawa ontario his family, the Ackroyd family specifically, were French Canadians, although I do note that Ackroyd is a British surname. So Dan Ackroyd's father was in the RCMP as a staff sergeant, and I guess he was a civil engineer who was also at one point a policy advisor to Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. We will talk about Ackroyd's grandfather in a little bit. So sticking with Dan Aykroyd specifically here, we'll talk about his family a little bit later as well. Dan Aykroyd went to Carleton University. While there, he majored in sociology, and he specifically specialized in criminology and deviant psychology. Now, I found that he would actually write papers on outlaw motorcycle gangs, as well as Michigan's La Cosa Nostra crime family. I found that while he was in college, he interned at a penitentiary where he worked on a manual for the deployment of correctional personnel. Talk about being interested in like haunted places, right? So ultimately, Dan Aykroyd dropped out of college and he pursued a career in show business. He moved to Toronto where he worked for Ivan Reitman and Moses Znamer on their television endeavors at City TV. Now, Reed found this horrible footnote. I did want to include it. Uh, he found it from the Canadian Encyclopedia. Znamer developed a reputation as the bad boy of Canadian television due to his aggressive pursuit of opportunities, as well as his aggressive sexuality which the Toronto Star referred to in a 2009 article as his most vivid personality tick. He, Znamer, is known for his tight control of his image in the media and the way he crafts an enigmatic persona through the numerous contradictions in his work and life, unquote. Znamer was, like, huge in Canadian television, right? Like, there's a street in Toronto uh, named after him, which is right near Marshall McLuhan Way, which is interesting. And the, like, just what you want from a TV producer, right? Aggressive sexuality being your most vivid personality tick. So basically there was a point at which Moses Namer stayed in Toronto and stayed a TV producer while Ivan Reitman went on to Hollywood. There's almost a reading where Reitman and Aykroyd went together to a certain extent because their careers were linked before and after the move. So back to Dan Aykroyd, while he worked at City TV, he got into he got onto Lorne Michaels' great Canadian humor test TV special. He also got in with Second City. Eventually he was hired on Saturday Night Live as a writer and an actor. Famously he would meet John Belushi on set. So together they created the Blues Brothers characters, and Dan Aykroyd wrote a script. This would eventually become the hit movie that came out in 1980. 
when I was young, I used to love the Blues Brothers, by the way. So Dan Aykroyd went on to star in several other films like Trading Places in 1983. Ghostbusters, of course, came out in 1984. Dan Aykroyd co-wrote Ghostbusters along with Harold Ramis. Now, there's all kinds of interesting side notes of interesting movies that Aykroyd has been involved in. And like the it seems like the more control he was given, the weirder his movies were, for sure. I'm going to try and assume that the movie Spies Like Us is not literal, hopefully. Although, I do have my doubts. Side note, after his main streak of culturally relevant movies, right, or like concurrently with and afterwards, Dan Aykroyd became like a paranormal and UFO TV guy. Before looking into all this stuff, I pretty much missed this entire era of his career because I don't normally consume paranormal TV and UFO stuff. During this second period of his career, Dan Aykroyd was always, for some reason, a reserve captain for the city of Harahan, Louisiana. As to why he was a reserve captain for Harahan, like... It doesn't make sense. He doesn't live in Louisiana. And, you know, that, you know, like when you see celebrities who are like, you know, reserve police or, you know, deputies or something, it usually makes sense. Like, oh, like Shaq, like he, you know, his dad was like a cop and he lives in the town where he does that. Like, it doesn't make sense why Aykroyd was, is a reserve captain for Harahan. The story he told people was that he was filming the James Brown biopic Get On Up and he and they were filming in Harahan and he just enjoyed the city. So he decided organically that he wanted to be part of the Hines County Sheriff's Department. I don't know if I believe the story, but he said, direct quote, I don't know if this is going to be my number or not, six, four, five, but what's that add up to? Six, five, four. It adds up to five, so that's a good numerology thing. That's like a direct quote from like a video. (laughs) Okay. So, along with explaining why he's a reserve, you know, police officer for Harahan, he said, he said that Harahan is the expert profiling city in the world. As far as I can tell, that doesn't appear to be true. I don't understand. Like, I looked it up. There's only like 61 police officers in the, in that police department. It doesn't seem like, I don't even completely understand what he means by profiling. But like, so I reached out to a listener of Program to Chill who I knew lived in the area. And I asked, you know, what's the deal with Harahan? And this listener said, it's its own town in Jefferson Parish. Lots of commuters, lots of commuters into New Orleans. They got the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Department, which is super fucking corrupt and terrifying. I had one of their officers off duty threaten me because I asked for his ID when he came into my bar, then proceeded to cut him off later because he was stumbling drunk. I only knew he was Louisiana police because he showed me his sheriff's ID twice to scare me. Continuing, this person said of Harahan, small population, super white, pretty suburban, 
Jefferson Parish is where Ellen DeGeneres and David Duke are from. Lol. The main road is Colonial Club Drive, and that refers to the Colonial Country Club, which is where the a particular plantation was. The whole town was built around that plantation and later around the railroad. The overall vibe is forgettable southern suburban town, but like much of the south, that sleepiness always hides a lot of bullshit. Yeah, I don't know too much about Harahan because I don't stop there too much. Then I asked a follow-up on the uh, corrupt on the corruption angle, and this user said, Harahan PD is also known for pulling people over and falsifying charges, planting drugs, more or less that it's a speed trap city. I did want to note that the completely normal and not sus guy, Steven Seagal, is also a reserve police officer in Louisiana. Not for the same city, though. Also, notably and disturbingly, Dan Aykroyd is doing reserve police work for Hines, Mississippi, which is only notable for being like the STD capital of the United States, as far as I can tell. Switching gears here, Dan Aykroyd was or is a member of MUFON, right? Now, switching gears again, okay. Dan Aykroyd co-founded the House of Blues company. Listeners might know House of Blues because it runs various concert venues that you may have been to. So Dan Aykroyd co-founded House of Blues with a few business associates. I couldn't pin down why these people are his business associates, but one of the co-founders of House of Blues was a guy named Isaac Tigret. Isaac Tigret is a follower of uh, Sathya Sai Baba, an Indian guru who was accused of pedophilia and sexual abuse. For what it's worth, the guru denies the allegations, as does Isaac Tigret, denying that his guru was guilty. Interestingly, Dan Aykroyd and Isaac Tigret were also co-founders and co-investors in a different related business operation known as the Hard Rock Cafe. So the Hard Rock Cafe, a much larger operation, uh, was also financially tied to the British company Mecca, which was the company that Jimmy Savile worked for. Now, Mecca also ran Miss World competitions, which, you know, has its own whole set of things for that. But Hard Rock Cafe specifically has seemingly been consistently connected to pyramids. We're talking like the Myrtle Beach Pyramid. when the, Like there's a Hard Rock in different pyramids. I think there might have been one in Memphis. I... I don't remember for sure. So through Isaac Tegret, there are direct financial ties to at least two sus-ass pedophiles, those being Sathya Sai Baba and Jimmy Savile. Like, not it's not direct for Dan Aykroyd, but I'm also not implying anything about Dan Aykroyd. It's just notable and weird, you know, like... I don't really know what to make of it because like Isaac Tegret went on the record and said to the BBC that if his guru were guilty of pedophilia, 
he would not change his belief in Sai Baba. It's just, it's crazy person behavior, actually. Like, this isn't just like me being like a weird stick in the mud. Like, it's fucking weird shit. Then, interestingly, Dan Aykroyd's father, Peter Aykroyd, writes about Sai Baba in his fucking book on ghosts. And I would call the passage in which he discusses this guru extremely credulous because it doesn't raise the specter of abuse at all, doesn't address any allegations, and comes across sounding a little bit like a fucking endorsement of this guru. Returning to House of Blues, it was bought, the the company was bought by Live Nation, and I can't imagine that that didn't equate to a pretty big payout for Dan Aykroyd. Next, we have Dan Aykroyd's investment in a tequila company. He was one of the early, one of the first celebrity tequila guys, basically. Now, I am not making libelous statements here, so I will say this in a general way, not about Aykroyd specifically. Every single celebrity tequila company is outright money laundering. I know that sounds like an insane prospect, but think about it, listeners. If the money doesn't make sense, then you're not wrong. You're not the one, you're not the crazy one. It doesn't make sense why all these celebrities have billion dollar tequila companies. It's because it doesn't hold up. It just doesn't make any sense. They're money laundering. As to where the hot money's coming from and why, I mean, typically it's from Mexico, but as to why these celebrities have it, I don't know if they're completely just straw men or what, but it does raise a lot of questions. Dan Aykroyd also has a wine company. He also has a weed strain. Dan Aykroyd launched Crystal Head Vodka, which is supposed to be a very pure spirit filtered through Herkheimer Diamonds. Herkheimer diamonds are from New York State, and Dan Aykroyd said that filtering the vodka through these diamonds provides the vodka with an energetic zhuzh, which is a Yiddish word for flair or style or something. Dan Aykroyd claimed that his Hollywood Hills home had some things going on in it, as in paranormal ghost activity. Now, his The home that he's talking about in the Hollywood Hills is the former home of the Mamas and the Papas Cass Elliot. (laughs) To be more clear, Cass Elliot of the Mamas and the Papas owned the home and then Dan Aykroyd bought it, possibly with some, you know, people owning it in between. Dan Aykroyd is extremely burying the fucking lead there. So Dan Aykroyd owns a home in Laurel Canyon or, you know, thereabouts. And this home is right across the street from the Laurel Canyon home of Abigail Folger and Wojtek Frakowski and is not very far from the Polanski Tate murder house. So Dave McGowan, Ed Sanders, and Tom O'Neill all wrote about Mama Cass Elliot. I'm not going to do a whole thing here, but I'll, I'll make a few notes. So first of all, Mama Cass Elliot's home was a known open drug hangout, and she 
very likely knew Charles Manson because of that milieu and through the scene overall. It is very well documented that Manson was at least at her house on several occasions during parties. Also, the this same home was under FBI surveillance, and that has been made public now. So Elliot's biographers document that she was likely snitching on a drug dealer involved in this whole thing, as in like she was an informant. Ed Sanders documented that the Process Church met Mama Cass Elliot. Dave McGowan wrote about how Papa John Phillips, her bandmate, attended an elite military prep school and how his father, Papa John's father, was involved in covert intelligence operations for the Air Force. McGowan also noted that Mama Cass Elliot's circle included criminal elements which the LAPD once described as a kind of hit squad. Anyway, all of this is to say that this is the house that Aykroyd says, quote-unquote, had some things going on in it. And Aykroyd vividly explained an eerie encounter in his home and said, something got into bed with me one night, I believe, when I was alone there. The door was closed but not locked, and it opened, and I felt a chill, and I felt something compressed next to me on the mattress, unquote. Just a lot of weird shit and a lot of proximity, not just to ghosts, but also to intelligence, I guess. Can I uh, can I add something there really quick? Please do. Um, but last time I had mentioned the, the UCLA parapsych lab run by Thelma Moss and this guy, Barry E. Taff, that was working there in his book which is a very frustrating book, but Aliens Above, Ghosts Below. Um, he talks about a case he had, I'm going to have to find a year on it, but where it, it it was like the house next door from the Manson murders or that like had all this like flare of paranormal activity. Mm. And he actually investigated that. He, he writes about it. It's Anyways, I just wanted to add that because it's in the neighborhood. Very interesting. Um, All right. So it's finally time to talk about Dan Aykroyd's personal beliefs. So he has identified himself as a spiritualist. And he said, I am a spiritualist, a proud wearer of the spiritualist badge. Mediums and psychic research have gone on for many, many years. Loads of people have seen spirits, heard a voice, or felt the cold temperature. I believe they are between here and there, that they exist between the fourth and fifth dimensions, and that they visit us frequently. Unquote. So Dan Aykroyd's childhood home was filled with magazines from British Society for Psychical Research and American Society for Psychical Research publications, right? He said, I just grew up with it. There's no way out of it. So I didn't draw up a full family tree, but I do have notes here, right? So as best I can figure out, and let me know if I'm wrong, but so there's Dan Aykroyd, 
who is the generation we're talking about. There's Peter Aykroyd, which is Dan Aykroyd's father. There's Maurice Aykroyd, who is Dan Aykroyd's grandfather. And then there's Samuel Aykroyd, who is his great-grandfather. I think I got that right. So, going down the list here. So, Dan Aykroyd's grandfather, Maurice J. Aykroyd, was a Bell telephone engineer, right? Who was attempting to construct an EVP, an electronic voice phenomenon, an electronic voice phenomenon device to communicate with spirits. Aykroyd's father, Peter Aykroyd, wrote a book, A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters, which I did read for the purposes of this episode. The opening of that book reads, this book, is this book is dedicated to my grandfather, Samuel Augustus Aykroyd, DDS, 1855 to 1933, pioneer, dentist, philosopher, ethical humanist, and foot soldier in the spiritualist movement, unquote. That's right. So Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather was a spiritualist dentist. So... Continuing, I guess, with uh, Peter Aykroyd's book. It's interesting, right? Because it purports to be a history of ghosts. But what that functionally ends up being is a history of basically mediums, for the most part, spiritualists. And it, so it's not directly, clearly about quote-unquote ghosts, but about spiritualism. Speaking of Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather, Samuel Augustus Aykroyd, he, like, like we said, was a dentist with a mystical bent. This guy, Samuel Aykroyd, was into Swedenborg and Blavatsky, and he actually corresponded with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about spiritualism. Then, interestingly, Samuel Aykroyd went to dental school, he went to the University of Toronto School of Dentistry of the Royal College of Dental Surgeons. In this era, there weren't really analgesic drugs yet, so instead they used to teach dentists mesmerism. And I actually quite like the uh, explanation in this book about mesmerism and dentistry, so I'll read that. The mind-over-matter technique of mesmerism was introduced in Europe in the late 1970s by Franz Mesmer, an Austrian mystic and physician. Although Mesmer himself fell, to it, fell into obscurity in the last 20 years of his life, his ideas were carried on. One of his students, Count Maxim von de Puisgier, discovered the therapeutic value of Mesmer's methods laying in the suggestibility induced by the trance state. This discovery set the stage for further experimentation in Britain and on the continent. In 1841, from the ideas based on Mesmer's theories, James Braid, a British physician, began to use a self-induced altered state of consciousness with his patients to produce anesthesia. He referred to this phenomenon as hypnotism, a practice that was later adopted by a number of surgeons, unquote. Let's see here. So, 
interesting to think that Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather, a dentist and spiritualist, was certainly taught basically early hypnotism. It is interesting to reflect on how like mediums and uh, hypnotism go hand in hand. And it does certainly raise the question how much, if any, of the medium ghost seance experience is quote-unquote real and how much of it is just doing hypnosis and other flim-flam techniques. Or rather, it's maybe flim-flam techniques plus elements of hypnosis, which itself is real to a certain extent, is maybe how I would say.
So I found the book to be not great. I thought it was very interesting because it sort of like bridged a few things in my head between like some of the early New York state burnt over district shit, you know, with Mormons and like other religious movements and like some of the later stuff with like the Fox sisters. Although I did in fact track down and note several egregious and or misleading statements in the book. So I don't think I would recommend people read it without a critical eye. Let's see here. I have a quote uh, from Dan Aykroyd discussing this book by his father. And the interviewer said, is it true your great-grandfather was a spiritualist who held seances? Dan Aykroyd said, he did. There's a book called History of Ghosts. My dad wrote it. It's about mediumship and his interest in it. He was the reviewer of all the psychic acts who came through town. He was associated with the Lily Dale community in New York, where today you can go and get a reading from a registered psychic. He passed it on to his son and my dad, Peter. They wanted to know what was going on there. How is levitation possible? How is ectoplasm possible? They wanted to do inquiry. They passed it on to me, and I took it and turned it into a exploration with Ghostbusters. Unquote. So it is very interesting that Dan Aykroyd is saying outright that Ghostbusters of the film is a quote-unquote exploration of the psychic phenomenon specifically. I think that like some of my listeners might not always think that like ghost investigations and psychic research are essentially hand in hand. I mean, I think with some of the talk around Hellier and being critical about that, I think that won't come as a complete surprise to some of you. But relating to this research I did and the book and so forth, I didn't realize that there was a large contingent of spiritualists uh, from New York State that moved to Indiana. That would be the Southern Casadega Spiritualist Camp Meeting Association, which moved to Chesterfield, Indiana in like 1891. To me, this adds just one more ingredient in the whole sus Indiana thing. Another contingent moved from New York State to Casadega, Florida, which is also known as the psychic capital of the world. And another group went to Lilydale, New York. Another went to Wanawak, Wisconsin, who I note somewhat schizophrenically is the home of progressive anti-communist Robert La Follette, who, among many other things, was hired by United Fruit Company to oppose the Arbenz government. That just betrays my own personal interest in La Follette. I don't think it extremely connects to seances and psychics per se, except except how often these psychic groups are also anti-communist. So the Peter Aykroyd book talks about a long-standing series of seances, which include Peter Aykroyd starting when he was quite young, being involved, and the group that would do ongoing, I think like weekly seances, kind of moved into making prophecies 
as well as manifesting ectoplasm, which Peter Aykroyd states that he saw this ectoplasm. Providing perhaps contradictory or winking messaging in this book, the book provides a recipe for making ectoplasm. I forget if I provided the recipe, but I'll read the recipe now. Soap, gelatin, and egg white mixed together and then blown into the air will shimmer and glow in forms that resemble bubbles. A less effective but simpler mixture, toothpaste and peroxide, will create a foaming substance that, in softened light, could resemble ectoplasm. These were among the mixtures commonly employed during the 19th century and early 20th centuries to fake the production of ectoplasm. I think that this is one of those things that this book and a lot of books tend to do, which is to talk to audiences, or rather to talk to multiple audiences at once. Talking to the believers and talking to the non-believers who are thinking about how to weaponize this stuff is what I would get at. The book also documents, or you know, I don't know how accurately, it talks about the Fox sisters, talks about the phenomenon, how it came out that it was a hoax, talks about the shift towards the scientification of psychical research, which is a thing I'm pretty sure Reed is going to talk about in greater detail. The, uh, the book also talks about the SPR, the Society for Psychical Research and related groups. Ironically, Ghostbusters itself depicts a similar shift, which is to say the moving from public funding to private application of this same research. The book notes, I don't know if it's, this is true or not, it's just what the book says, it notes that psychics often score high on schizoid tests, which is a very interesting prospect. The book also talks about dissociative identity disorder regarding channeling. It doesn't have a lot to say, it just suggests a connection between the two. Um, Let's see here. It The book also discusses seance as performance, as in you stage the seance, and then by staging the seance, including, I guess, faking some of it, then you open up for real phenomenon to occur. Again, this is kind of that whole talking out of both sides of your mouth type of thing. Where he's basically saying, yeah, we fake some of the seances and then real stuff happens. As to whether that's true, I mean, who knows? Let's see here. I know that uh, I've been cutting in and out. Did either of you have anything to add so far? Or what are your thoughts on that? Because then I was going to switch into talking about Ivan Reitman. Yeah, I've just got a couple of details from um, the, the Peter Aykroyd book to add. Mm. Um, Jim, you mentioned that um, there's often a connection between um, some of these paranormal groups and, uh, and anti-communism. Um, if you mentioned this when, when, when you were, um, going through it, uh, 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 I, I didn't catch it, but, um, I, uh, turned up a newspaper clipping from the Kingston Whig standard, um, from, 
December 1924, talking about uh, Samuel Ackroyd um, as a socialist campaigner um, in Canada, um, being an explicitly anti-communist socialist campaigner Um, and having had, uh, let me get the exact words here. the uh, quote socialist vote includes all the votes cast for avowedly quote communist candidates, and after the unkind things that Dr. Ackroyd um, have said has said about these communists and their extreme desire to be rid of all responsibility for them, um, goes on to say just sort of that um, the the uh, man that um, Ackroyd was part of was was condemning um, communist uh, 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 group leaders um, as in in his capacity as a uh, you know supposedly socialist campaigner. Very interesting. I think there is a lot more work that could be done to thread the needle to show that like anti-communism and interest in this weird seance shit. Like there's a connection. I think it's just, yeah, like not clearly made clear in what I've gone through. Wendy, did you have any thoughts or read whichever? There's a, 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 a there's definitely a thread to pull on there. Uh, the other detail, um, again, stop me if you're going to get into this later, um, that I wanted to mention was that um, Maurice, uh, the Bell um, telephone engineer uh, grandfather of um, of Dan Aykroyd, um, was um, not just a, a, a an engineer for Bell, but he he served as a um, academic um, administrator for uh, Queen's University. It was it was very prominent. Was president of a Canadian engineering um, association and was like a uh, yeah like on the board of governors of Queen's University, which is a major university, um, especially for engineering in Canada. But he got the idea for building a um, a, a, a crystal radio transceiver to contact the dead during a seance that was uh, held. Um, at the Ackroyd Circle, uh, one of the regular meetings in 1933, uh, where, um, interesting year uh, for the information that they received from a spirit named Blue Light that told them um, an electric instrument uh, to communicate with uh, spirits and the inhabitants of the planets was possible to build and that another spirit would come visit them later and give them instructions to build it. Um, and uh, and that spirit ended up, ended up being uh, some uh, some guy named uh, Grustock, who identified himself as Austrian with German mixture. So um, mm. I don't know about the two of you, but uh, uh, a dentist's um, spiritual circle channeling <laughs> one spirit called Blue Light of a blue beam uh, and another that's uh, Austrian with German mixture in 1933 to build something to contact ghosts and aliens. I, I don't, I don't like how, uh, how that sounds. That sounds, that sounds bad. Sounds like the kind of circles where they'd be like, also, can you cut a check for an enterprising young politician? It, it, it sounds like the, um, yeah, so this sort of thing that, um, you know, a secret uh, Nazi cabal would would be doing. Um, I will also mm-hmm. note, just sort of um, as as a as a final thing here, um, Canadian uh, sp- uh, everyone um, 
who's listening to this will will know by now, Canada uh, is is full of Nazis and has been for a very long time. Um, but uh, particularly in this period, um, uh, the overlap in in um, Canadian spiritualist circles um, and fascist sympathizers was extremely strong um, to the extent that uh, let me get the thing here. Our um, one of our most celebrated prime ministers, um, William Mackenzie King, uh, who, who's credited with um, a lot of, of, of um, you know, like uh, 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 sort of what led to uh, welfare legislation in Canada, um, broadly speaking, um, and social services, um, was a, a, a deeply uh, convinced spiritualist who held regular seances when he was um, prime minister in, uh, in the 30s. Uh, and he was extremely taken with Adolf Hitler when he met him uh, in 1937 uh, and uh, actually compared him to uh, Joan of Arc, um, saying that uh, he was uh, writing in his diary uh, that uh, he was someone who truly loved his fellow men and his country and would make any sacrifice for their good. Um, and that. Uh, let me see. His face and his eyes impressed me most of all. There was a liquid quality about them, which indicates keen perception and profound sympathy. Uh, Prime Minister of Canada, William Mackenzie King, wrote about Hitler after meeting him in 1937. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, um, can I say something about that, that radio yes. that device? Well, it just me when i was kind of surveying you know the state of parapsychology today um i sent you both the link like this thing freaked me out uh one of the main i, I think it looks like one of the main guys doing parasite research now is gary schwartz he he's a co-directed numerous laboratories and clinics, including Harvard, Yale, and uh, he founded the Human Energy System Laboratory. A lot of things, like if you just look into this guy, but one of the projects that he's involved in through the Laboratory for Advances in Consciousness and Health, which is at is in the Department of Psychology at the University of Arizona. And it's one of just, I think right now, only a few known parapsych labs, uh, or at least in my in my brief survey, it, it seems to be one of the few, most of which, most, most parapsych went, did go private and it was going private around the time of Ghostbusters. But anyways, back to that thing, one of the projects that is connected to this guy and to this laboratory is this thing called a soul phone which is somehow really just cre it just distresses me it's like and you can find updates about this thing online um it using ultra sensitive low noise technology they're saying it is theoretically possible theoretically possible that uh they're trying to build basically a technology that will communicate the living with the dead um, in what they call, they don't call them dead people. They call them post material persons. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah. That's incredible. And they're saying like, yeah, they're, they, 
it, it seemed like they were very hopeful, but apparently this hasn't, all the kinks <laughs> haven't been worked out on this soul phone. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just, it, yeah, that's, I guess that's what it's carrying on the Ackroyd dream. Wendy, you said that the, um, the, the, I'm looking at what I think is the website, the soul phone uses um, very low sound. Maybe maybe ultra yes. ultra low frequency stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I only have a little uh, blurb here. Yeah, but right, like it, there, some of this stuff was really funny because it's talking about like, well, we're proposing these studies. Luckily, we won't have to have like an internal review for human sources because our participants are dead people. Like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> those are in like actual papers these people publish. By the way, like this laboratory does have people involved in it, uh, and and then like associated foundations involved with this laboratory that were in the uh, SRI, like involved in the SRI Stargate stuff um, to various degrees. But so, I mean, there is a direct lineage of this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I think. I, the other thing I did want to add when you were talking about the vodka, I, and you were cutting kind of in and out, so I'm not sure. You, did you mention the crystal skull vodka? Yes, I did. Okay, okay. You were cutting out, so I think, I don't know if I caught all of it. Um, did, so, and maybe you did say all this, but it's like Dan Aykroyd, art, the, the, the shape of the bottle. No, what's the shape of the bottle? So, the uh the <laughs> the shape of the bottle is a crystal skull and the artist I, at first i really freaked out because the artist was a guy that Ackroyd commissioned named john alexander however it is not the same like john alexander like, like the mental you know that wrote the papers about sci and sci tech in the 70s is, but like yeah so dan Ackroyd says our head which i think Okay, to to John Alexander to design and create an uh, anatomically correct <laughs> glass rendering of a human head, says Ackroyd, quote, our head is based on the 13 crystal skulls that have been found all over the planet. Um, uh, and as legend goes, each was carved from a single quartz crystal. And, uh, and then he, and then of course, D Dan Ackroyd goes on to talk about how these, uh, crystal skulls have like healing and enlightening powers um how i didn't i've never i didn't know anything about this these the skull stuff but um yeah, there's a pretty long wiki about it but it's let's see uh despite some claims presented that the the legend of the crystal skulls supposedly it has mystical powers but it, it they also claim that it um, comes directly out of Mesoamerican and other Native American mythologies. Apparently that's not true, or at least, yeah, they, apparently that's not true. It's just part of this like new age belief <laughs> about these, these crystal skulls. It's supposed to have para it's supposed to like exhibit paranormal uh, phenomena. Um, so like, yeah, just, just wanted to add that about the the whole vodka thing like um but that also made me think because they are 
crystal like that radio that his the dentist great grandfather was trying to build to talk to the dead people that's also crystal i i'm not a scientist like i and i really don't understand but just the the word crystal made me think of like i don't know maybe dan Aykroyd thinks these bottles of vodka like, can be used for channeling i don't know but that's all that's all i wanted to add no that's that's so funny because it's like yeah it's not like some real mesoamerican thing it's a stupid new age bullshit thing that they just made up and perpetuate as like a meme and then you see people like everything from like damien hurst or was it is that his name the the artist who made like a actual crystal skull to like the totally not a pedophile steven spielberg with his like freaking indiana jones movie to like oh, yeah rumors about the freaking memphis pyramid and a like a skull at the top of that it's just like this is like some stupid horseshit that they make up but then they seem to act like they believe it you know yeah they right they buy into their own bullshit um there is a funny letter by the dentist it was published in 1920 in the same paper that that reed mentioned of it and it's it's like samuel Aykroyd going off apparently in response to an article by professor stephen laycock <laughs> apparently laycock was a debunker and didn't like spiritualism and there's this funny letter where sam it's very long and he's like uh just berating this laycock and saying i like, will have whether you believe in ghosts or not we're gonna have the last laugh um that's really i mean it's really neither here nor there but if anyone is interested in, in looking up that article by samuel Aykroyd, it's it's pretty interesting it's like a uh they had some kind of beef and apparently mm. at that point they aired it aired it in the in the paper that's that's all that's all i have to say all right so i have <laughs> one or two more notes here um i'm going to talk about reitman then i'm going to talk about the necronomicon and i think that's it for me so i'll keep it ooh, fast ooh, yeah go ahead. okay for reitman or no, what? no, no, no. When you bring up the Necronomicon, I, I, mm -hmm. I have something. Would, but well, yeah, that's it. That'll be good. So, like we've been talking, right? So, like Ghostbusters was written by Aykroyd. Obviously, it clearly reflects so many of his weird interests. Ramis also contributed. Uh, also Ivan Reitman. Okay, so Wendy, of course, has been providing us with salient nuggets and interesting details about the original script and th scenes that were cut. But I have a quote from Dan Aykroyd where he says directly here, he says, my original script was much darker. The work the Ghostbusters were doing was much more dangerous, but changes were made to take out some of the darker elements. I could live with those changes because the movie was always meant to be a satire a take on the old ghost chasers with the understanding that there really is a science here, not a pseudoscience. It's the science of paranormal exploration, unquote. So we've, I think, 
exhaustively talked about Ackroyd, although there's still things I would like to know. It's as much as I was able to find about Dan Ackroyd. I don't know that much about Ramus. I think that is a part where I did not research as much as I would have liked. But I do have a little bit on Ivan Reitman, who also contributed to the overall creative process, although he was not directly credited with the script. I think we were talking about how he was making certain changes and so forth. So Ivan Reitman was born in Czechoslovakia in 1946 to Hungarian Jewish parents. His father was a partisan fighter and his mother was an Auschwitz survivor, as he reports it. Uh, Let's see here. So they emigrated to Canada. Ivan Reitman attended McMaster University. He got a television production job at a news station in Toronto. He worked his way up the ladder. So he was, I think, an executive by the time he met Dan Aykroyd, as far as I know. Reitman got his start in film producing, uh, producing David Cronenberg's early films, specifically Shivers and Rabid in 1975 and 1977, respectively. It's not the most noited Cronenberg films, which is interesting. Uh, And it's interesting to see him starting with horror. Then he went on a spree producing comedy films. So Reitman produced National Lampoon's Animal House in 1978. Obviously that had uh, John Belushi in it, and that was a huge hit. He produced Meatballs in 1979. Interestingly, he produced the that one cartoon, Heavy Metal, in 1981. He directed and produced Stripes in 1981, which had um, Bill Murray in it. Then Ivan Reitman directed and produced Ghostbusters in 1984. Continuing with his career, he directed and produced Twins in 1988, which had Arnold Schwarzenegger. He directed and produced Ghostbusters 2 in 1989, Kindergarten Cop in 1990, Junior in 1994, so several more Schwarzenegger films. He produced Space Jam in 1996. He just, you know, kept producing after that. But that was kind of like his real streak of like hot shit. It is interesting to see him producing the crossover genre of comedy and horror. And Ghostbusters is like the crowning achievement in his, you know, producing work and directing. And I called this out, but he worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger on at least three movies. I'm pretty sure. Ivan Reitman is known as a conservative, downright libertarian in Hollywood. He was in this one documentary on Hollywood Republicans. Uh, He is out and open Republican. Ivan Reitman was also close friends with John Milius, who made several key right-wing films. I I think he did Red Dawn, right? Pretty sure. Like, uh, he did Dirty... He worked on Dirty Harry. He did Conan the Barbarian. He's the inspiration for Walter, the character in The Big Lebowski. Side note here, and I did talk about this on a prior episode, but it's not super long. John Milius, Wendy and I have talked about Red Dawn as she 
explored in her book. Obviously, they're interesting films, right? They do kind of paint a bleak picture of humanity, though. Milius was tied in with the NRA. He was on the board of directors during the Charlton Heston era of the NRA. Then John Milius was a member of this thing called the Institute for Creative Technologies, or ICT, which my buddy Paul Klein Fancam found this out. But the ICT was a CIA DARPA Army collaboration to design military hardware, virtual reality, and running war simulations. They are basically a research institute that works directly with DARPA, but also with Disney. Wild. They do such weird fucked up shit. Like they had a naval program which was treating U.S. combat veterans by hooking them into VR headsets in order to replay their war crimes. They've also been working on like holodeck stuff to train U.S. soldiers since at least 1999. So that's Milius. <laughs> Milius and Reitman, close friends. Okay. Not trying to overstate the case here. It's just very interesting. Fucking Alexander Haig was involved with like Red Dawn. Like there's there's so much deep state shit with these movies. Okay. So a few years ago, I noticed Ivan Reitman directed the movie Twins, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Twins is literally a comedy about a German eugenics program creating a superhuman man which is Arnold Schwarzenegger. In the plot, there's psychic powers, there's twin stuff. This is like literally like a Nazi movie. And it's produced by Ivan Reitman. Like, and here's the thing, okay? This is this is how my life is, okay? I was sitting there with my wife. We're watching TV. We put on the Netflix documentary for Arnold Schwarzenegger, thinking... Just once, one evening, I'm not going to think about parapolitics, okay? And in the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, Arnold Schwarzenegger is telling all kinds of anecdotes from his life. Arnold Schwarzenegger says, out of all of the characters in all the films he's ever played, the person who most resembles him in real life is the character Julius from Twins. The character Julius from Twins, which is to say that Arnold Schwarzenegger most identifies with a product of German eugenics from a secret program. Like it's an insane person thing to say. And if you listen to a different part of the documentary, Arnold Schwarzenegger states that Ivan Reitman wrote the script twins for Arnold Schwarzenegger, which brings an even weirder element to the whole thing. I'm not going to get into it now, but like, I did a thread on Twitter about the movie, the movie Twins, and I go into the Louise Wise Adoption Agency and their literal human experimentation on twins, and get real. I get real schizo with it, but I'm not going to go there today. Did either of you have any thoughts on Ivan Reitman? No, I, I really don't. Um, I really don't have much to say. I didn't look too far into him. Let me ask you. What kinds of changes did you notice Reitman typically making or contributing? I actually noticed 
it was in what I could understand that right man was like basically the force behind just saying look Aykroyd I read your script it's insane. it's crazy oh we're gonna have to bring it down to earth and then gives it over to Ramus so it I didn't see a lot of changes that were attributed directly to Reitman, except I would say like during filming, maybe some ideas that mm. are not popping in my head, but a lot of the stuff that I was like, ah, I would like trace back to Ramus somehow. Um, so I really didn't get a lot on Reitman. I did spend a significant amount of time trying, I think we talked about this, try, me trying to like, figure out if either of the three or any any of the three were associated with the Esalon Institute but yeah mm -hmm. didn't get far in that I, I really don't have too much to say again it seems like the changes that at least the things that stuck out to me tended to be attributed to Ramus so. I, I probably should have looked at Ramus over Reitman and there really was not a lot on Reitman unfortunately not as much as I would have hoped Reed, do you have any thoughts? I realize this may be a loaded question. Do you have any thoughts on like being also Canadian and Jewish yourself? Do you have any thoughts on like the psychology of a guy who would write such a weird fucking movie like Twins? Like, it seems like a type of guy. I don't know. The um, it, it's definitely a type of guy. The the um, the book um, which I've not read yet, much to my discredit. Um, a uh, um. Uh, 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 I forget the title now, uh, but but it's it's uh, like a, a unlikely uh, uh, enemies, uh, a, a Jewish soldier in Hitler's army, um, and there's a lot of odd number of oddly, you know, more that more of those kind of guys than you would expect. Um, but I think it has much more to do with um, uh, uh, something that I've been saying for a little while, which is that um, everybody thinks that uh, Canada is the um, you know, the younger brother to the United States. But in reality, as, um, you know, the last great outpost of the British Empire, um, Canada has been um, psychically colonizing, you know, the fascist movement in the United States and around the world for a long time. I think this mm. country is a, is a is a great vortex of psychic evil. Um, and um, I think it's borne out in in a lot of, a lot of our stealthy uh, cultural influencers um, who, who do stuff like that. But it's just um, indicative of 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 how we do things up here. <laughs> Definitely, thank you. All right. So the last thing I have to contribute is an exploration of some of the more occult ceremonial magic elements of Ghostbusters. Let's see here. So. I know we talked about not getting too much into the other Ghostbusters films, but we did note that in Ghostbusters 2, the Dan Aykroyd character Ray Stance owns an occult bookstore called Ray's Occult Books. Now, the interesting thing about that is that is almost a, almost certainly a direct reference to the Magical Child bookstore in New York City. That has a long, complicated history. But I think there's a very good case. But I think there's a very good case and a lot of evidence that Dan Aykroyd was acquainted with this bookstore even before, like, 
writing and getting into like Ghostbusters. So for those who don't know, there's a long and interesting history on the Magical Child bookstore. It really goes into some wild directions. Uh, I would recommend people check out the quote-unquote Simon book, Dead Names, which was, let's be real, it's Peter Lavenda. He wrote the book. Don't argue with me, listeners. It's definitely him. Uh, who He basically wrote this book on the history of the Necronomicon. And between that and finding old blogs and zines and stuff, I got something of a history on the Magical Child Bookstore. But the TLDR is that the Magical Child Bookstore was acquainted with every occult group in New York City, basically. The OTO was conducting Gnostic masses in the back room of the bookstore. Uh, every pagan group interacted with it. And yes, this Gnostic mass did in fact include the cakes of light. Uh, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you know what that is, Wendy. I almost don't have the heart to tell you if you don't. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I I had a, a a very bad. I found out what it was because I had a very mm. very bad experience once with um somebody that I I I had move into my home. I didn't realize that you know they seemed fine at the time, and like within a week had a a psychotic break and begins to talk about. <laughs> Uh, having sex with aliens and all of the different mm. kinds of aliens they were in contact with. They also happened to believe that uh, Miley Cyrus was um, sending them direct messages uh, like through her videos. But about the cakes, I think this is the same thing. This person found a uh, used tampon on the street, which I don't know why it would be on the street, but there was a witness to this. Uh, someone else I knew, and they this this crazy person. They baked it in a cake, mm. and and ate it. At which point, you know, at this point, I was like ha trying, like within a couple of weeks, I was trying to have them evicted. And uh, but it, I I believe they referred to it as like a light cake. Mm, yeah, no, I think for sure different bodily fluids can be involved. I think the classic traditional version generally has like jizz typically i i forget okay. often menstrual but, blood is in the mix as well yeah yeah that's that's i they probably assume, figured like that's the only way they were gonna get some menstrual <laughs> blood but yeah yeah and that's the story of the tampon eater yep interesting huh so I won't go full David Berkowitz right now and get into the, those connections, but let's see here. Uh, this is from the book Dead Names, which I mentioned, and I quote, Another movie, Ghostbusters 1984, would mock the ideas of the Necronomicon with the introduction of the Sumerian demon atop a miniature ziggurat in the refrigerator of a New York City apartment and the idea of a gatekeeper. Dan Aykroyd, one of the film's stars, is involved in studying the paranormal in real life, and his brother is a genuine Ghostbuster. 
So he is probably the avenue by which the Necronomicon references made the silver screen. Those of us who have been involved in the Necronomicon project took all of this in good humor, of course, and enjoyed the quiet celebrity or notoriety, unquote. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'll wait till you're done because it's just uh, that, that the Ghostbusters cartoon in 87 had a car, had an episode about the Necronomicon. Ooh. But, okay. Yeah. So I'll wait. I'll wait. So in my opinion, this is just a theory because I can't prove it, but in my opinion, this, I think both parties, Dan Aykroyd and Peter Lavenda, are omitting the full truth, which is I think Dan Aykroyd would go to Magical Child, and I think he was clearly at least aware of the majority of what was going on there, which is to say I am certain that Dan Aykroyd probably at least had the Necronomicon. I think that's a safe bet due to the presence of the Sumerian stuff in the film. Uh, real quick before you get into that. So like when we were talking about the, 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 the fictional cult in the movie Ghostbusters and how they were interested in this like Sumerian like they were basically like a Sumerian cult I think that barring any largely secret groups that we don't know about I think that would be anachronistic for the time period and that most groups in the 20s would have been still Egypt focused and that although Sumerian Mesopotamian studies were on the rise yet unless there's a secret cult we don't know about that stuff didn't largely start entering the occult scene until basically the Necronomicon, the Simon Necronomicon. Reed, does that track for what you've read and encountered by the way? I, I think so. I mean, there are um, earlier references to um Babylonian or or um yeah, I think Babylonian specifically um ideas and uh and names um but not so much through actual um again this is my understanding um archaeology on on um that uh, or or scholarship on that history that then gets turned into a cult mumbo jumbo but through like biblical references um yeah. so I think that I think that tracks um it would be interesting to go back and, and double check that but I'm, I'm pretty sure that tracks yeah because there's like a distinct period in which they were discovering Sumerian stuff and then there's a delay before it starts trickling into the occult stuff so like you know obviously it's because they're making it up like it's not like real basically uh Wendy what were you gonna say about the cartoon um well First of all, is I'll start with this as far as the bookstore you were talking about, and I have some questions for you on that. But mm -hmm. th this is a description in uh, Ghostbusters Two of of what Ray has at his bookstore. I've got alchemy, astrology, apparitions. He's got books on those ban bundu, magic men, demon intercessions, UFO abductions, psychic surgery, stigmata, modern miracles, pixie sightings, golden geese. 
poltergeist, ghosts, I've got it all. Okay, so in two years before that, uh, the real Ghostbusters cartoon had a an episode that I did happen to watch It's in prep for this. It's the collect call of Cthulhu, it's called. And so basically, like, the Necronomicon is being displayed at the New York Public Library and it gets stolen and apparently like Egon and I believe Ray are just super familiar like they're like this is bad so when so you know this book has a lot of power so they eventually trace the theft of the book to a cult operating in the basement of a um, occult bookstore. So it, it's called Wagner's Occult Shop. It's in uh, East Greenwich Village. It sells, you know, what anything you would uh, normally expect to find in an occult bookstore, but also including human skeletons and skulls. Um, yeah, and the uh, this like crazy cult is, it, is operating in this in this bookstore's basement. That's all I I wanted to say. Um, the bookstore you were talking about. Do you know where it was? Yeah. So I think it was in Chelsea, in Manhattan. Okay. But okay. First of all, there weren't that many occult bookstores, and the description of what they sold, it's like the same stuff. No shit. And then. On top of that, I don't know if you are familiar with the story of the Simon Necronomicon or what happens in Dead Names. No, no, I'm not. Basically, the same thing happens as in this stupid fucking cartoon. It is literally, quote unquote, oh, no. Simon and Peter Lavenda. They pretend that it's two different people. Basically, them and a sort of like a network start well, they become wandering priests or wandering bishops, and they also go on this like book stealing spree. And they are maybe selling the books to like interested parties. Oh my gosh! And one of in the course of stealing these books and all the intrigues going on, a Peter Lavenda is like recruited into espionage, and b like they find the text that becomes the Simon Necronomicon, which like to be completely frank with the listener, Peter Lavenda wrote it, but like they pretend that they found this text and it, that it's like this Sumerian text that purports to be, you know, X, Y, Z, but it is like literally the same thing that you described to me. So it definitely strengthens the strengthens the claims here. When did let me see when the Simon Necronomicon was published? 1977. Wow. You gotta wonder, like, and I wish there was more on this. Like who who, who was because Ackroyd would have been connected, you know, having having all these interests, it seem it would seem like he would have networked with some of these people, especially he's in New York City during Saturday Night Live times. Yeah, the only place that he could have met these people, and for sure, I mean, like, all of the people that Aykroyd would have wanted to hang out with who had the same interests as him were all people who hung out at the Magical Child Bookstore. That's what? 
I am a hundred percent certain he went to it and knew about it. And I'm, I would bet so much money that he had the Necronomicon and that he was very familiar with it. He said, I mean, he was making the rounds in New York because he says he spent, I think he said hundreds of hours at the, uh, the psychic, uh, I forget the name of the group, read, you know, but the, the, the one that, um, we talked about when we began the uh, last episode, um, but he's he was going through all of those books in mm-hmm. this archive, you know. And so, right, why wouldn't he then hop on over to the bookstore, right? Yeah, that's that's wild. So there's a connection we didn't like. Yeah, I definitely yeah. didn't. And then it gets even better, Wendy. <laughs> Because uh, there's a little bit about uh, the entity known as Tiamat, who I guess uh. I've heard claims that Gozier is supposed to be based on, although I know in the, the expanded universe, they kind of break that out or differentiate it, I think. <laughs> is that correct? I'm sorry, say again? Oh, well, basically, there's like... In the Ghostbusters expanded universe, there is a entity known as Tiamat. Although yeah. Gozier is supposed to be Tiamat, I think they they both exist in the Ghostbusters universe. Um, I'm on the Ghostbusters fan, so on the Ghostbusters fandom.com slash wiki, if you put in Tiamat, mm-hmm. there are there are several. <laughs> there are several entries, including the Temple of Tiamat is an extra-dimensional temple uh, dedicated to Tiamat while on duty at Ray's Occult Bookstore. Yeah, it, there is. Like, I, I don't have time. Yeah, we can't. I can't look for all these, but if you, <laughs> yeah. it definitely shows up, and it shows up in connection actually to the bookstore. Interesting. Yeah, that completely checks out. So, Gozier is supposed to be Tiamat, a loose analog to it, at least. Okay. So, again, quoting from, I think, the book Dead Names, where, quote-unquote, Simon is quoting and paraphrasing from some academic who was an early uh, studier of Sumerian history. Uh, This is from a series of lectures in 1898. The words of the text are put in the mouth of Nurgle, the destroyer, who is represented as sending out the hosts of the ancient brood of chaos to their destruction. Nurgle is identified with Nera, the plague god who smites them with pestilence, or rather with Nur, the terrible king who gives not peace to his country, the shepherd who grants no favor to his people. Unquote. So uh-huh. basically, Tiamat is like a serpent dragon entity who harnesses the armies of chaos and that basically Tiamat is also associated with the deep and or the deep sea or chaos and that there are analogs and related concepts in Semitic, Sumerian, Akkadian, etc. And that the mythology, uh, you know, changes a little bit from region to region, but is fairly consistent. Uh, and that it all ties into a temple of a ziggurat where they basically <laughs> would do different rituals. 
And so basically, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, so further, and this is, you know, part from deep, uh, dead names, this deep, which Tiamat is related to, is considered not only to be the watery abyss below or around the earth, but also the heavens, which is to say deep space. Uh, then Marduk, being a analog to a Christ type of figure, defeats the serpent Tiamat in this cosmic battle that results in the creation of humanity. So basically it's like this sort of half reflection of Christianity, or rather Christianity is probably arguably a reflection of this older Sumerian tradition. All of this is to say that Tiamat is essentially a quasi stand-in for the devil or Satan, <laughs> which is certainly an interesting read to some of the <laughs> some of those Ghostbuster scenes. Damn. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that's everything I had, or rather, I don't know if you have any thoughts, read or Wendy, to that to that stuff. I really don't. I mean, I was surprised. I I watched the first season. I didn't watch the Ghostbusters cart. It's weird. I don't know why. I because I just always gravitated towards Ghostbusters one, and I was kind of like, ah, anything else was a disappointment. So I didn't really watch the cartoons or or anything. But I did watch the first season in prep for this. And that was like, it. that one episode is distinctly, I feel like it's distinctly different. Like the rest are, mm. are silly. Or, but this one is like, it, it was very dark. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. Oh, I forgot too. You mentioned that there's Cthulhu stuff in the episode. All of that is basically shit that's in connected to the Simon Necronomicon and like, Peter Lavenda right wrote a book about basically Lovecraft and its connections to the Necronomicon and like ceremonial magic. All of this is just underscoring that he's very aware of it. I think. Reed, what about you? Did you have any thoughts? Yeah, it um, it's sort of like a thinking about um, like someone like Ackroyd in particular, um, who, who, you know, he's not shy about, uh, his, uh, true belief in, in the occult and in aliens and all that. Um, but, um, the, uh, uh, that, uh, dedication to the book that his dad wrote, um, history of ghosts describing, um, the grand, the great grandfather, Samuel, uh, DDS Ackroyd as a foot soldier in the international spiritualist movement. Mm. Um, is clearly uh, something that the Ackroyd family kind of sees as its intergenerational mission, at least all the Ackroyd family men. Um, and Dan has been a very uh, loyal foot soldier in that movement, uh, probably the most successful uh, ever uh, by getting um, Ghostbusters made uh, to to um, not just like capitalize on on an existing um, kind of uh, uh, you know um, made up fake mythology. Um, like Peter Lavenda uh, uh, kind of does in, in some Necron Nec Necronomicon, um, but but do some weird spiritualist propaganda um, to to promote these ideas. Like it's not. Um, I think people need to be thinking very uh, seriously about uh, why why is it that these ideas are being turned into 
uh, a major movie and then franchise. Um, yeah. like what, are, what are the goals here? What what's what's really going on? Yeah, they seem very interested in conveying that it's like more people have seen Ghostbusters than any other movie, which I don't know if that's true, but it's like, oh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's worrying. Um, and um, can I uh, can I interject something? I mean, it's, it's nothing profound. Mm-hmm. Um, at one of the first things I did to, to prep for this was like, well, one of the questions I always had, oh, and then I again was gonna look into later in life blah 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 was that you know why i was just like how why were there so many like sci-based movies you know ghostbusters is a comedy but that same year it is the same year dreamscape comes out um firestarter um Mm -hmm. there's there's even there's a one i never saw brainstorm in 1983 all of and I could go on and on, well, the entity, a lot of these feature parasite labs that are usually connected to like a shadowy government agency. And then yeah. also, yeah, I mean, their video drum was 1983. What you said, like, why? Yeah. Um, even like well, Dead Zone, same years Ghostbusters. Uh, that one involves you know ultimately an assassination attempt. Um, yeah. Um, and to note, let me just go scroll up a little on this. Um, when Ghostbusters came out, that was in the. I think it's the second to last stage of the whole SRI remote viewing um, programs. It 1983 is when uh, I don't know. It switches to a new phase called Center Lane, and uh, it, it has a lot to do with buying biomonitoring equipment, um, developing psych screening tests to find the gifted people. Um, And this incarnation of the SRI program was also particularly, or one of its focus in its its own proposal documents was definitely like dealing with ELF, you know, electromagnetic radiation countermeasures mm. and and measures and their relationship with psi abilities I and mean, that's nothing new it's just that this uh suddenly it features more prominently in sri's own you know literature uh, so yeah i don't know that's all I really wanted to say. It's like uh, Ghostbusters is taking place, though, at, a, at an interesting time in parasite psychology and like sci research. And I, I'm, I'm not gonna say like, oh, that somebody, because I can't prove that somebody put out all of these movies. But there's definitely <laughs> seems well, to be. Yeah, no, that's the thing, because it's like at the same time that all these psychic movies are coming out this is also the big shift so reagan and well thatcher and reagan are both elected and then it's like someone somewhere pressed a button that just like said like anti-communism and they just turned the dial all the way and so obviously there's like dirty harry conan the barbarian red dawn 
you know, Milius obviously is part of that. Reitman, not as clearly so, but like all of the really sophisticated, well-written, like parapolitical or just critical of the U.S. thrillers stop. And then it's all fucking Rambo and all this like right-wing bullshit. And as like an ancillary genre or something, it's like the psychic, like sci-fi horror thriller is like tacked on. But like it for sure, it's just it's it's part of the same wave, I think. Yeah, and it's it, I don't think it's I don't I don't know that anyone would ever disagree and, and not and say that like especially when you're talking about the Cold War stuff, like that that is reflected in popular culture, movies, television shows, etc. Like that why Right. Why is it a stretch to to say this exactly the same thing about about this topic? And then, of course, the topics are connected. But yeah, it's it's. I feel like if I was told that to like just a random person, they would be like, "That's ridiculous," and you're crazy for having these thoughts. So, but yeah, I, but then like you see the global war on terror. What films do we end up getting? Yeah. But a bunch of Marvel bullshit. Like it does track. Um, this is also like when a lot of those remote viewers and I know like their side programs actually like, you know, there's it's much, much bigger. And a lot of one thing that really pissed me off as I was reading all these books is this constant claim I'm seeing and like, I guess, not anointed books that like, oh, the government dabbled a little bit in psi research during the SR, you know, with the remote viewing programs. It is much broader and much deeper. It involves a lot more. Um, institutions the same argument about mk ultra that they dabbled got right. got a little weird with it but then they ultimately shut it down like no um but as ghostbusters comes out that's like in the exact same time period where these remote viewers are starting their own private companies like mm. <laughs> Yeah, too. So I I don't know. That's just a, I don't know if that um, factors in to the the making the making of of like a wave of of sigh. Yeah, you know, and there's like times. You know, it could have been zombies. Why wasn't it zombies? Why wasn't a a, a surge of movies about? Yeah. I don't know, sca scarecrows or something. It's, Vampires it's... or whatever. Right, right. Yeah.
kind of a, a, a through line that we've been um, talking about across uh, the different psi uh, research programs um, and, and in the plot of Ghostbusters itself uh, is the um, kind of uh, uh, recurring uh, phenomenon of um, uh, variously credentialed scientists, um, sometimes total you know cranks with some kind of uh, maybe an engineering background, uh, but other times extremely um, you know well credentialed scientists um, having uh, what looks like a genuine belief and and even a fervor for uh, paranormal investigation and an openness to supernatural phenomena. Um, certainly, that's the way that the the, uh, the three Ghostbusters are characterized, um, and um, this is a you know kind of a feature. Uh, of uh, scientific uh, 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 experimentalists in particular um, that kind of recurs again and again over, uh, you could say, maybe at least 300-ish years. Um, probably going back even further if you just think very generally about scientists or people involved in other technical and empirical enterprises as having um, an open mind uh, and considering things that uh, you, know, you don't know about yet. Um, so that kind of makes sense. Um, but I'm going to quote quickly from, um, uh, David Kaiser's book, how the hippies saved physics, uh, which is, uh, a very good read on a lot of the background for, um, some of the scientists and scientific, uh, self-styled scientists, um, in and around, um, especially the 1960s, 70s and 80s, um, hippie movements, um, gets into a lot of like Jack Sarfati, um, Ira Einhorn, uh, background, um, and, and is a good read. Um, so he writes, uh, at first glance, such a mishmash of interests much must surely look bizarre. PhD physicists from elite programs dabbling in the occult. Yet on a longer view, the combination appears neither shocking nor unprecedented. Uh, both mesmerism in the 1770s and spiritualism in the 1870s have become international sensations. In both cases, leading scholars from Madras to St. Petersburg to Paris, London, Boston, New York, had formed committees and staged public demonstrations, learned periodicals in the public press, published tens of thousands of articles debating the realities of these various phenomena. Uh, skipping ahead a little bit uh, later around the turn of the century, uh, around 1900, telepathy, psychokinesis, and alchemy all moved to the center stage in Britain. Major scientific authorities, including uh, Lord Rayleigh, J.J. Thompson, William Ramsey, and William Crookes, several of whom went on to become Nobel laureates and presidents of the Royal Society, devoted decades of effort to investigating the latest claims um, of spiritualists and other, what we would call at the time, psychical researchers. Um, that kind of summarizes a lot of what we've already talked about. Um, but... Um, the uh the question of the the why uh certain uh kind of paranormal content um was being promoted in this weird period in the 80s as both of you um very um like thoroughly uh talked about um we have the the privatization of sci research um the really uh uh turning on the the supercharging global calendar insurgency um and anti-communism um why is this coinciding with you know, another popular resurgence of um, interest in in psychic phenomena, ghosts, um, and, and these kinds of uh, uh, charged content. Um, one argument that um, is talked about in um, another good book uh, called Physics and Psychics um, by Richard Noakes, which is particularly um, a history of uh, the overlap between uh, physics research and, and psychical research in Britain in the... Uh, late 19th, early 20th century. 
um, is that um, experimentalists in particular who are interested in developing new or, or more precise instrumentation um, to detect otherwise uh, invisible forces that, that um, most people who don't claim to be psychics themselves um, can't perceive, right? Um, necessarily developed um, the theories to explain the physical phenomena um, that generate those forces um, uh, uh, had to um, engage with questions that are very relevant to um, long-standing human questions about life after death, um, you know, the nature of the universe, all that stuff. Um, and uh, if you're, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of, say, um, a uh, uh, kind of a, a radio physicist um, in uh, the British Navy um, around uh, the 1890s, 1900, um, uh, uh, these questions of, um, you know, uh, uh, invisible forces have not only direct relevance for uh, your job, uh, but they have um, implications for your understanding of, of um, you know, religion and um, the nature of the universe and all that stuff. And um, maybe the best example of of how um, this this kind of manifests in, in my mind um, is uh, and a character that um, kind of resembles um, some of the other ones we've talked about in, in the Ghostbusters themselves uh, is uh, this um, aristocratic British naval officer named Quentin uh, C. A. Crawford, um, who was a captain in the Royal Navy. Uh, a wireless, a, a pioneer of wireless telegraphy, so transmitting um, uh, 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 like Morse code messages and other um, uh, 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 messages um, wirelessly, um, specifically for naval applications, um, and uh, founder of the Ferry Investigation Society, um, and he was um, working on a uh, secret uh, Royal Navy project in 1901. Um, in 1907, uh, where the uh, British Admiralty allowed him to conduct um, secret experiments in shipboard wireless broadcasting um, for obviously use in uh, signals intelligence um, and and secret communication between um, fleets uh, and 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 uh, uh, naval command. Um, so this was a guy who was working at the very cutting edge uh, of of um, as uh, Venkman says, defense science, and uh, he was um, like many of the uh, scientists that we've talked about, um, also became a true believer in the occult. He was totally swept up in ideas of um, not just um, spiritualism, um, but specifically the fairy craze that kind of hit Britain, um, largely thanks to the popularization <laughs> of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's involvement in the uh, the Cottingale fairies hoax. Um, and the uh, 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 Fairy Investigation Society, which uh, Crawford founded, um, included... Uh, such um, high society uh, members as um, Lord Baron Hugh Dowding, who was the uh, Air Chief Marshal uh, of the uh, Royal Air Force during the Battle of Britain, um, and and considered a, a, a you know a big hero um, in that period of British history. Um, so um, the the interest um, goes along with the territory of um, the science and and the true belief. Um, can kind of serve at least in 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 my reading of this um as a motivating force for the the scientists involved so there's sort of a a, a kind of self-mythologizing going on that you're not just working for um you know the, the royal navy but you're really exploring questions um that that have um you know more spiritual relevance to you obviously that's not the case for everybody um but it's something that that seems to be a feature 
nature of um of, of this kind of guy who's working in um again as Mekman said the next big defense science which this time in you know uh the navy in the 1900s um wireless transmission uh was absolutely the you know um one of the most important um technologies developed um by navies um for for military purposes oh damn so i'll i'll, I'll uh throw it to both of you then for for other thoughts on um i know i kind of rushed through a lot of that um but i think it just it's a good example of how um that um push and pull between defense technology research um the people involved in it having very serious um and, and genuine beliefs and, and interests in the paranormal um and then maybe the weaponization of that at the level of, of mass media to maybe you know um seed the culture um to get more people turn it up in an sri um uh, uh, uh subject pool with a a real belief in channeling um so they jimmy like you said um the the performance of a seance if you get somebody who really believes it they're going to perform it pretty well yeah and it's just like i mean there's just all kinds of like reasons why you do that like obviously like these generals and admirals and like people probably believe it on one hand but on the other hand it's like okay well what what happens if you make great britain into like this like known on the world stage as like a quote-unquote center for magic and then there's like a bunch of weirdos throughout the world who are like damn i would love to go to england to see all the magical places like stonehenge at a minimum you have an entry point for espionage and like just a force multiplier for like soft cultural power at a minimum like there's there's always other things going on that make it probably worth their while to do these weird things. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at, at sort of one, um, at, at the kind of the, maybe the most basic level, you think, um, what, um, what would, uh, uh, you know, military intelligence planners, um, get kind of a kick out the most for, um, the way to obfuscate your new, um, communications technology oh you, you you tell them it's ghosts that's yeah, a ghost <laughs> that told me that's how that's how the spies are going to write it in the, in the letter yeah it was a ghost i got it through a ghost yeah <laughs> exactly exactly i think you you really like encapsulated you know, just there like a lot of you know the thoughts i really don't have much to add i mean that was just very well put together uh you know it's, it's just it it is it's operating on different levels from like we are really investigating this phenomena or testing it but then like on all those other levels of like we're also doing like mind stuff uh we're also doing but you know, developing weaponry it, it, it's like almost amazing how many levels these programs operated on um you know and and i i guess i knew that intuitively but this uh preparing for this is really like you know confirmed it i guess yeah so i guess maybe for both of you just to maybe 
state more fully. So what would be the alternate reading of Ghostbusters? And <laughs> like, can we fully vindicate Walter Peck? <laughs> For those who don't know, Walter Peck is the EPA uh, agent in the movie. Reed, you go ahead. Um, I think um, not not only can 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 Walter Peck be um can be vindicated. I think we can we can safely say that he should have been empowered uh, to much greater degree. Um, and it was it was a grave mistrial of justice. Um, what happened to that man? Um, because he was he was trying to do the right thing and stop unethical human experimentation um, that mm. was being contracted out to this um, this rogue group uh, of, um, of of sleazebags. Um, I think um, the fact that that uh, all of the um, all of the activity seems to occur in and around people they just happened to interact with and have a vested interest in um, seems you know to to um, uh, 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 you know. Um, that doesn't sound like a coincidence to me. Um, the um, fact of like, if especially we take the uh, original script, um, that uh, the possession is uh, being uh, achieved uh, not by, um, you know, uh, fake uh, Babylonian gods, but in fact by aliens, um, then we're really into the, um, this is uh, uh, PSYOP, um, Directed energy weapon uh, territory, uh, which um, you know Peter Lavenda would have you believe that um, that's what they've always been. But um, I think, um, especially going with those original things that were that were taken out, um, clearly uh, uh, he uh, is. is uh, uh, I, I've sort of lost my train of thought at this point, but because I'm still reeling from that from that um, uh, script change that Wendy mentioned about it being aliens, not Babylonian gods. Yeah. Um, so he should be given. Um, a uh, an NKVD style secret police force to root out any and all Ghostbuster type activities um, in the state of New York. Dare I say the world? I would add, though, that perhaps you know, had he been, I guess, better empowered, perhaps you know, he maybe he shouldn't have shut down the containment device without a better study of it maybe bring in some scientists you know before before doing that um i mean i understand his motivations oh i mean it's irrelevant that this will be irrelevant now but there is that that epa article that, i mean it makes it a good case as to you know all of the many ways that that walter peck was right i mean it's just Turning off the containment device, you know, it, it, maybe he should have looked into it a little bit closer. So, um, that's I mean, that's really all I would have to add there about Peck is perhaps he could have approached it slightly different. Uh, he does seem to be reacting, you know, more personally to Venkman also than he needs to be. But that's that's just like. Let me <laughs> let me run this past you. So if Gnostics are frequently like, oh, this world's not the true reality. Oh, look at this beautiful scene of landscape. It's fake. It's not real. What does the EPA say? But no, 
there is an underlying reality. Like we need to protect nature. Like it's not an illusion. Like, yeah, and people, right? Yeah. So basically, what we're saying is that the EPA and the Gnostics are actually at war. <laughs> um, I I just found a quote that I should have brought in earlier, but uh, this is Dan Aykroyd. He's saying in about 1981, he said he read an article on quantum physics and parapsychology. Uh, so he gives actually a couple variations of, of when they, and it probably did happen like over time, the, the first script, but like he does definitely mention quantum physics um, also, by the way. I, I guess that's a you can move that around somewhere else. If, if it's yeah. Just, I, I well, just, yeah. Also, Reagan's America basically did cut the EPA and viewed it as the enemy. So it's like okay, yeah. like the it does fit in the general right wing turn of cinema too. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is reflecting the economy and the the economic concerns uh, in the reagan era and the privatization of lots of things and yeah hmm. um and that you know the lone entrepreneur you know will do it do it better than the than the government could type yeah. of when in reality privatization nearly caused a biblical style <laughs> destruction of new york city <laughs> Um, in, in some, I forget which, where it is in the canon, I think it's secondary canon in the Ghostbusters universe. Like there, maybe it's the cartoon or a, whatever, a comic book, but that Walter Peck ends up actually himself being possessed. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, they don't, yeah. Uh, one thing Dan Aykroyd did, did, um, advocate for in a in I think in a more recent article, but I uh, he's saying. Um, oh, by the way, he claims that he had a Men in Black experience with standing next to Britney Spears, which is which is weird. But uh, he he says, you know, we need to get. Uh, I hope that scientific inquiry on the order of what used to happen at some of the universities in the states begins to occur again we've got to get academia academia and science interested in it uh the invisible world is out there we need the scientists to come on board so he definitely <laughs> all that yeah. sounds like to me is like oh we need more funding again uh right right yeah it's like a pitch <laughs> well reed did you have any closing thoughts i know you did already kind of succinctly put it but no i don't i don't think uh, I, the only thing I'll, I'll mention is uh is a detail that i forgot um doing my spiel about um about that crawford guy um and and sort of um this is um good to mention uh about you know uh the the kind of funding um pitch um that, that you just mentioned um you, you, uh, all of these um, devices, um, like the um, the Soul phone that Wendy was talking about at the University of Arizona, which um, somebody needs to figure out who is funding the Laboratory for Advances in Consciousness and Health, because that's um, that I I don't like that they are 
uh, uh, boasting about not having to have um, ethical clearance for their experiments <laughs> because subjects are are dead people. When you look at the <laughs> website, they say that um, the system that they are going to that they're developing involves two components. It involves the electronic soul switch, a highly accurate and smaller kit that provides instantaneous responses, presumably from the dead people. Um, and then you string a series of uh, soul switches together um, and, and then you get a soul keyboard. Um, they don't explain what that means. And then you have people use the soul keyboard. So there are clearly people that they intend to involve in these experiments. Um, but if you can get an ethical uh, loophole by saying that the main experimental subjects are dead, um, that's like the best that's you know that's the that's just the joke of oh we'll tell them it's ghosts again um for doing the most heinous kind of like uh mind control research you, you can imagine which is exactly what we were speculating half the fucking super kid stuff could have been like yeah holy shit so then i'll i'll i'll, I'll um i'll leave out with this one um so quentin crawford the pioneering um wireless telegraphy um engineer and fairy investigation society founder uh was was involved in um more engineering um research into the late 20s um uh, as he got deeper into into psychical stuff um and he uh like uh carrington edison and others this is again quoting from um uh physics and psychics um he uh, Crawford also believed that the most promising solution uh, to the old problem of filtering psychical signal um, from noise lay in the construction of quote delicate instruments. By 1928, he and fellow spiritualist wireless engineer Frost were collaborating on an undisclosed wireless invention that promised to function as a direct spirit communication device. Um, so they were five years ahead of the Ackroyd Circle uh, in in working on that, and I'm sure there were other. Um, both cranks and real engineers um, around that time, because um, radio communication was was a, a developing um, field in that time. Um, but um, regardless of, of whether you know you have true belief or not, um, that push for greater uh, delicacy and precision of instrumentation is always something that the military-industrial complex is uh, obsessed with and chasing. Um, and if you need to convince the scientists that what they're doing is going to, you know, let them talk to their um, dead parents, that's what you're going to tell the scientists. Um, and if it's what you got to tell the uh, people who are funding your uh, research uh, at uh, a major university, that's what you're going to tell them. And you're going to seed that uh, concept as much as you can to keep the development of those instruments going. Damn. Well said. Well said. It um, I had a whole thing about this, but to 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 bring it, you know, one thing. First of all, like Skinwalker Ranch is always called, just been something that irks me. I think, but and I think it's common knowledge just to some people. Like you know, so at least probably a lot of your listeners actually. But you know, I was just really struck at like um, first of all, the Stargate program. Kind of shut down uh, in 1995, and that's the year that Robert Bigelow uh, find, founds the National Institute for Discovery of Scientists. And you could just go on and on and on and on with the list of people that were involved with mm. sci research, including at SRI. 
that that kind of get put into like become involved with NIDS in 95 so I mean and to me I mean it just it does it looks like it kind of just got switched over there it's 1996 and then he buys Skinwalker which could um it it, it could be <laughs> theorized and I think my I'm on, on a gut level like I feel that Skinwalker Ranch is I mean and they even use it they laboratory they the when they proposed using skinwalker ranch like uh, to get funding in the u.s in the in the department of defense ufo program uh they described it as uh we want to use this ranch as a laboratory in the wild um and you know they make a really big deal about the high-tech types of sensors and uh, equipment that they have there. Um, it, it, uh, of course, some people believe the Skinwalker Ranch is lit like David Polaris is literally a portal, uh, in, in, into another dimension. Uh, I think it, with everything we've talked about, I feel like it's probably more likely it is a laboratory, um, <laughs> To, to test, you know, weaponry or just God, I just really God knows what, I don't know. Um, but the grafting on of many of these people from SRI um, and then how that develops into um, the, the ATIP program, um, it's still... Okay, I'm not I'm not really articulating good here, but w one thing, and I think maybe this this is all I really want to say is uh, one thing that really kind of disturbed me is at the at the end of the book, um, the Skinwalker at the Pentagon. Um, well, first of all, when it proposed its involvement to begin with, one of the things it wanted to do was have a, a section of the study. It, they wanted to fund more remote viewing. And of course, uh, help put off is, is, is uh, ready to go in case this were to be funded. And they say that was one of the things in their proposal that didn't get accepted. However, they were able to do a, uh, a feasibility study. So there was, there was remote viewing going on under that ATIP pro program or eight. I'm not going to get into the difference between ATIP and AWSAP. All of that, uh, your listeners are are going to be familiar with it. But at the at the end of that book, they make a proposal for future studies. And one thing they they propose at the end of this book. They lay out a somewhat troubling proposal. Uh, they they suggest further um, experiments, and they even men mention that guy Prince Hans Adam um, as as being someone who who was a stable source of funding for them for many many years. But uh, they say let's keep using Skinwalker Ranch, but then also let's use other sites like. Um, 
Dulce, New Mexico, uh, San Luis Valley in Colorado, um, to deploy sensor and data collection technology, take multiple biological samples, um, and also deploy remote viewers in this data collection process. Um, they propose having a consciousness department research, uh, department of research, um, consciousness connection between UAPs and humans, including telepathic communication, may play an integral role in UAP interactions. Um, and then, last but not least, they propose a medical department that can rapidly conduct MRI scans, blood tests, genetic tests uh, on basis of non-ionizing EM radiation-associated injuries um, and test and monitor family member, <laughs> not only the people who uh, have uh, these experiences with, with UFOs, but their families to like deploy all of this medical testing to these people's families, um, people who have had uh, close encounters and all the people involved in making this proposal are the same people that were involved in, in SRI and like the medical aspect of SRI's uh, remote viewing stuff. Um, this goes back to, they would justify it by saying they're uh, the hitchhiker effect, which I don't read, you, you know, the hitchhiker effect, we've talked about it. Do you know the hitchhiker effect? Jimmy? Uh, no, I don't think I do. It, it was this uh, pattern that was noticed in, I believe it was like the early 70s and surrounded kind of Yuri Geller too, where scientists working with like a paranormal phenomena at Liver, what is it, Livermore Lab, I know I'm getting that name wrong, they would go home and then like say like crazy things are happening ever since we started doing this like birds will like man-sized birds will just appear out of nowhere like floating body parts like uh shadow mm. people and that this was coming home with them and then this this i when i read that i was like that sounds exactly what, what they talk about in skinwalker where they're saying anyone involved with this seems to have these exact same phenomena uh, it's almost word for word. Uh, and they they propose it as kind of like a virus. Um, I don't know, make of that what you will, but that's how they're justifying. That's why they need to deploy like um, all this medical and genetic testing uh, is to study, assumedly, the, the hitchhiker effect. And it's not for nothing but that. Like the Iggy Pop song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The the one of the opening quotes I've got it right here. Um, chapter one of Skinwalker at the Pentagon is ghost is a Ghostbusters quote. It's Bill Murray, um, and it's the quote itself isn't awesome. It's just like yeah, of course Ghostbusters is in Skinwalker Ranch. They they use it as like a serious quote. Um, I believe they also use like Carlos Castaneda quotes, but uh. It's just Bill Murray saying there's some things in the world that go beyond human understanding that can't be explained, that people don't want to know about. That's where we come in. So they are actually putting themselves forth as like 
obviously real life Ghostbusters, but the the whole Skinwalker, everyone connected to NIDS and like uh, Bigelow's operations, and that's just we could go on for hours about those guys, but uh, I I I don't know. I I just like when I read their proposal for future research especially with dealing like with people's family members is just creep just creep me out that's that's really all that's all i wanted to say about skinwalker essentially it, it is relevant now because of all the ufo crap all this, this stuff coming out that's like steeping into definitely mainstream mm -hmm. yeah um can i can i really quick um oh yeah make an observation here um this is this is kind of um going away from the the hitchhiker effect specifically um which um maybe thought about in in the context of um you know uh, uh the securitization of uh, disease management um that we are now all very familiar with um, yes uh, bodes very ill i don't like the idea of psychic uh contact tracing um or um uh you know the deployment of various uh, pandemic measures for uh, ghost uh, hauntings, which sort of seems like the natural um, trajectory of a lot of that research, um, are a lot of those projects that the um, the Skinwalker Ranch types are involved with. I think Lou Bigelow or some um, U uh, UFO crowdsource uh, reporting app that um, Lou, uh, yeah. Louis Elizondo is involved with um, is basically a giant cell phone um, tracking and, and um, data harvesting. Uh, operation uh, uh, jack brewer has mentioned this um on the um on 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 uh, on his blog um but it's really quick here um tiamat uh, uh babylonian uh you know primordial goddess of the ocean um tic tac ufo encounter supposedly navy aviation pilots uss maine and um you know the the that scene in ghostbusters U.S. Navy false flag, uh, wireless telegraphy, and the Ferry Investigation Society. Um, that's developed by the Royal Navy. Uh, I think the um, sort of suggestion that recluse has made a number of times on the farm that the Navy is what you know runs the real deep state. If there's a transnational deep state, um, mm. is uh, 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 we're we're getting some hits here uh, throughout uh, throughout all this, and. Um, think that's that's something that we need to be questioning more that just popped into my head when i was thinking about tiamat um and i wanted to to put a pin in that mm, i like that interesting much to think about as they say who who knew i mean just really who knew ghostbusters could be so loaded i guess i knew again i do intuitively or you know but oh <laughs> so much Yeah. Uh -huh.
You wanna, you wanna do the cards? You want me to pull some cards on you really quick? Let's go for it. Okay, so let me just tell you, like, I am not like uh, normally. I would be very well rested and just kind of like fresh minded. But again, this is just like in the spirit of these things. I've got, and so maybe it'll hit, and maybe it'll miss. Um, who knows? We're just. I think there's a couple of ways we could approach it. You could think of a topic um, and I will kind of try to target or direct these cards to that target and you know we'll just see what happens. Or the other approach is like just general kind of like what's going on with read past, present, future. So it's it gets up to you how you want to approach. And you don't have to tell me. That's the other thing. In a clean reading, I should not know if you pick a subject. I don't. It's better, in a way, 
I like the idea of not knowing what it is because that's really going to, to test the cards rather okay, than let's, my let's, yeah yeah let's let's do that then I um I will I will withhold uh my choice but you will you do have it do you have it do you have you made your choice give me, <laughs> yeah, give me, give me five give me five seconds locking in <laughs> all right I've made uh, my choice you've got it okay um now ideally or maybe not ideally I'm not sure how how it really comes to bear I like to have people shuffle the cards obviously that can't happen I am going to try to like mentally hone in shuffle these cards for you and I'm going to do it with two different decks I'm going to use the uh the Suzanne Trister the deck and uh more of a standard writer weight base and also compare so you've got your choice i'm going to shuffle these and like just try to hone in on reads topic reads topic um by the way these uh hexen cards are really 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 hard to shuffle they are bigger than my hands <laughs> um which makes it really hard to like they're not very flexible okay sh shut up wendy and just concentrate all right cutting this deck starting starting with the uh hexen deck your card is the world upside down in the hexen deck i'm going to cross it for more information but just off the bat it means that something is not because it's a, i i do read reverse it's like something isn't the cycle isn't finished yet, that like it has not, it may appear to have come full circle and be done, but there's a cycle, it's ongoing. More podcast appearances. <laughs> I then craw I'm crossing for more information, and yeah, and you get the eight of swords uh, upside down, which in in um in the hexen deck, it's the United States Cyber Command. Uh Oof. And that's but, so eight of swords upside down is this like a freeing like if it was right side up it would kind of be a confinement but so it seems to imply that whatever the topic is cycle is not complete um but also that there's a freeing like it's like um be becoming unconfined like the restraints are being lifted off and the third card is the queen of wands which is a woman uh typically okay um who is really like uh motivated and kind of charismatic and so this is a character that they like kind of according to these cards would have to do with your your question or your target um she's really charismatic she's kind of like the boss um really fiery type of uh confident act proactive energy so those are the three cards you got with the hexen and i'm going to do the exact same thing with this other deck only because as much as i do love the hexen deck i also feel like it doesn't always read smooth like and it may be because it's just so creepy that it mm -hmm. And I'm not purporting that any of this is, is real. I just know how to read these cards. And I have seen like them be accurate. I have theories about it. But reads target, Knight of Swords upside down. So the first idea 
in the second round of your target is that you don't say anything. <laughs> it's like, don't say anything. No, um, no, either a, no need to communicate or that, and I assume this is you in relation to this, that it's either suggesting not to communicate or it's saying you're, you're being non-communicative. Um, it's, ooh, financially, there's an infeasible, Ability. Again, six of pentacles upside down and four of cups reversed. There's like this one's a, a little bit different than the other one. It's there's a financial infeasibility to this target. It, it also um it's not impossible, but um how do I say it? building castles in the air so it's kind of like the the idea is not imp totally imp impractical it's not impossible it's not out of out of uh, the realm of sanity or anything but there's infeasibility and either a lack of communication or a suggestion not to <laughs> say too much communicate too much about it so in any way does that apply and i know this is subjective does that in any way apply to your target uh i'm gonna say both apply um yeah for sure um yeah i like i like the first one uh, a little more than the second one but um but i can see how they both apply Okay, okay. Not like wildly, like it's not like holy shit, kind of like holy shit kind of apply, but it, it is applicable. Uh I, I would say that um uh 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 especially the second one, um I could I could find out in a I, I could find out that it's Ooh. a holy shit right on target in um in approximately um four months. Um so um oh, we'll, we'll see we'll see about that one. Yeah, let me know, um, because I'm always interested in the feedback, because I'm, as I be, as I became an adult, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in the accuracy, you know, than I am about, like, oh, the practice of reading. I, yeah, so let me know. I like the feedback. Um, Jimmy, do you want to be a, a, a subject in this experiment? Yeah, read. <laughs> you got to bounce, because we can... Yeah, I should um I should I should get out of here now. Um but um thank you Wendy uh for um for drawing my cards. Um I will uh thank you. I'll keep you updated. Um and um I'll I'll listen back um when this episode comes out to uh uh make sure I'm getting it right. Um mm -hmm. and uh, thank you both for having me on. This was a lot of fun. And um thank you so much for participating. I would I really wish we could you would uh yeah, I wish yeah. Thank you for participating. Thank you, Reed. Yeah, thank you. Uh, take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Okay. Um. All right, Wendy. Now I know you're a little frazzled, a little all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. So, but you know, I I already told you that. So let's yeah. keep keep it in mind. Definitely. We can always we can always you know do it this time. We can always try again on a day where I am also well rested too. So it doesn't listen. It's all good for me as long as you're good. We can do it now. It's oh just yeah. Oh, I am. I'm just. Want. I'm saying if you want it in in the future, yeah. Yeah, do it again. yeah no, I'm. I, I'm. I want to try. I mean, 
theoretically maybe it even shouldn't have an impact because the cards are the cards but that's i mean that's part of why it's weird yeah um, i'll just say of- for the listeners i am tarot curious so i do have or i recently purchased the hexen 2.0 deck Ooh, you got it well okay okay yeah yeah awesome um and so, but I've long been a huge fan of this deck specifically, which Wendy and I discovered our mutual appreciation of. Uh, and I'm interested in tarot in general. I only have the Rider Weight deck myself so far, but interested in tarot. I like the reflections that it does, and uh, I'm I'm very excited to receive this reading. Okay. Um, I learned on the on the writer. Yeah, when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. that was a gift from a boyfriend. He gave me uh, a writer weight deck, which I wanted. I wanted to learn tarot, and it also gave me two rats, which happened to be male and female, which populated ended up becoming many, many, many rats in the one day. <laughs> Anyways, that's a different story. But uh, yeah. Okay. So you want to do the um, same approach as read with the with the yeah that sounds good what was the what was the approach or what was the goal i might have missed the layup explanation it's kind of like a blind well you know you know Mm -hmm. and i i trust you both you know what the uh you'll have a topic and i will pull without you telling me i will pull cards on the topic at that point because i don't know the topic it will be up to you to apply them Mm. to the topic okay Um, and this is like a theme or like a purpose in my life or something like that it could be yeah it could be that it could yep it could be that it could be anything yeah all right let's do it you got it yeah Okay, I'm gonna do the same thing as I did with Reed. Is like do two different readings just to mm-hmm. compare. I, uh, but yeah, okay. So I'm gonna concentrate and try to shuffle these cards. They are so big, and I have like weak, weak typing hands. Jimmy's topic. And I do have actually the PDFs of these cards too, so maybe I'll pull them up when you when you say it. The first one, and I again, I'll I'll keep pulling for more information. That's kind of how I do it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like you can keep drawing for more. Um, that's one. Next card on that topic, and the third card uh, for that topic. <laughs> crazy um i don't know what your topic is you know i'm not gonna say anything here but we'll talk about that yeah mm-hmm. i'm gonna do it with the second deck if you if you don't mind just so i can compare yeah when you say I'll... second deck does that mean not hexen or does that mean yeah like i'm a... using two like okay. I'll, i just did the hexen now i'm gonna use a more like a, a rider weight based okay. Deck, I'll, um, I'll google those then to for sure um so it's the same i'm doing this on the same topic mainly because i want to see how the two decks compare on the same topic but uh mm-hmm. hopefully it just doesn't confuse the issue 
uh, first card. Okay, so I don't, those two are very different. Like, so anyways, I don't know if you want to give any feedback or like, you could even just say like applies, doesn't apply or however you want to do it. Uh, to a certain extent, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen, but I would say it seems extremely relevant. <laughs> Especially that Hexen one, right? Yeah, to the point yeah. where I'm just like, I don't know if I'm even going to put this in the episode. Yeah, I, I understand because it's almost too much. Like, yeah. yes, it's like, uh, we could do it on a different <laughs> topic if you want only because that one I can I, I guess I'm going to assume it's the things that we've talked about recently yeah. you and I that's insane that is crazy especially I know <laughs> well I don't know I mean if, if you're fine doing another one I'd have to think of a different topic though yeah one that if it and it may not be as like accurate but well, yeah one that if it is as accurate isn't going to be a problem <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. I'm glad that you have to think of it. Like, one thing that annoys me, and one reason I kind of stopped really doing a lot of tarot readings for people is because I don't think people should become dependent on them. And it's like, it, it, it becomes like they want to ask, they, they stop being able to make up their own minds about things. Like, you don't need, you don't need it. So I, if you're struggling to find a topic, it's, it's good because it means you're not yeah. like yeah it seems like correct me if i'm wrong here but like it seems like tarot is kind of like weed where it's like <laughs> you maybe get more out of it the less you do to a certain extent i definitely think that is that is the case um, i'm not gonna ascribe a consciousness to the cards but i will say that there have been like just countless times where someone you 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 read and let's say it's on the topic and they are not getting the answer they want and they keep asking mm. the same thing over and over until the cards then start to get almost mean like they'll start <laughs> to just pull out really negative stuff and it's almost like this is it leave it alone yeah yeah and i sort think of uh, like, yeah no go ahead definitely the frequency like the more you get readings i i I do think I've observed that they they tend to get less somehow less accurate than if you you know don't do it as frequently and and there's always the rule of like and some people might disagree but it's always a disaster for me to try to read myself it's just I just don't even do it anymore it's like always bad mm. but um you know for whatever reason Okay, so okay. I have a thing for sure, and the stakes are lower. And okay, <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you got it. Like you've got it in mind. Got it. Okay, I'm gonna try to remotely access it without maybe doing so consciously. Just hone in on it. Jimmy's topic, and I am shuffling these hexen deck. This hexen deck. Freaking love this deck. I want to say you've that might be one of the most accurate what we just did. <laughs> like one of the most accurate I've seen the hexen 
yeah. per- perform, <laughs> which was great because you're like the only other person I ever knew before the knew even knew this deck existed. Uh, okay, but back to your topic, Jimmy Stoppit shuffling his monstrously large cards. Oh, first card, two of cups. This time, right side up in the in the Hexen deck. It's the summer of love, but it's um. If you think of cups as as emotions, they rule. It kind of rules emotions, and two as a partnership. It's a it's a fruitful partnership, uh, also an attraction. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like obviously romantic, but it, it is involving two people and the, the chemistry between them, and a and a according to this card, a fruitful partnership. Um, that is crossed with the five. Interesting. That is crossed with the five of wands upside down, which is like not having to compete, um, non-competition. Let me um, see. Five of wands upside down. Okay. It it is. Yeah, like harmony where once there was competition, it can also be a suggestion that sometimes the best way to win is not to fight, kind of like not engaging in the com- in competition. But somehow this partner, <laughs> I don't know, I I don't know. If, yeah, again, it's a blind target, so I really don't know um, that that there's an implication because they're con- they're connected um, that the partnership will reduce or lessen competition. Um, ooh, and then judgment is um, a major card. It's number 20, if you look it up. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's like a... Rev- this would imply that it's something that's kind of... It's like the dead rising from the grave. It's something that was done that is coming back up, but like back up in a new iteration, a new in a new way so it's like whatever the topic is it's like it it's a revival of a top a topic it's a revival of something that was was put to rest previously and this is coming up in a new way it it like time to pick it back up like some kind of project that was put to the side it is it would suggest a good it's a good time to pick it back up also somehow yeah again involving like a collaboration or a partnership that's what you got with the hexen okay um you want me to try the other deck sure why not (laughs) i didn't feel like i didn't feel that one flowing like I, i think because yeah like and sometimes that's the other thing like i can tell if the kind of just know if it's like flowing i think it was working for me i don't know okay okay cool um i'm shuffling this other deck oops i just flipped a card out of the deck uh jimmy's topic jimmy's topic carry it upside down (laughs) so it's similar to the other one where it's like non-movement but this also indicates like not no travel um not not to travel 
either as a suggestion or just a circumstance that there there doesn't have to be travel involved and if you don't want to look at it as travel uh, like a more metaphorical way to look at it is like a forward movement that it's there's a on that level it implies a standstill a slight increase financially uh, that's the ace of pentacles a, a new source of money or a new stream financially and then temperance upside down so this almost negates his this is a contradictory card where temperance upside down is like a a bad recipe that things aren't even out that the that a that a recipe uh has not yet been perfected and that it's there's an imbalance in it and per, i mean i don't know perhaps that's why it's suggesting or saying that there's no necessarily forward movement this does seem to contradict also though the hexen reading that was saying like there's a collaboration and it's um, fruitful well mm -hmm. the fruitfulness is like across the board now there's also a woman here i i pulled a fourth card on it because i don't i don't like the unclarity um queen of swords right side up queen of swords a extremely intelligent usually woman that, that you know that doesn't really matter but a an extremely intelligent quick thinking fast talking um intellectual person typically a woman person um who has like the ability to speak and just cut through um bullshit uh her words can be extremely um harsh she can you don't want to get on her bad side because she will cut you up like verbally down to nothing however she's not upside down so it would be like her intellectual prowess um comes to bear in a positive way uh, uh, makes some kind of positive contribution to this topic so that's what i got hmm. interesting apply doesn't apply i think so i think so i think it yeah. applies here's the other thing like yeah what i said it's good that you had a stretch for a topic on the other hand there if it's not something that's like I don't know, at the forefront and it's you know you're reaching for it that may you know make it a weaker signal for me i mean i'm no i think for sure it was like a fairly prominent in my thoughts so yeah um if didn't you... have to reach too hard <laughs> okay okay good well for whatever reason i didn't feel like if i don't think you can beat that first one if you do <laughs> cut out the first reading maybe you could add something like i just want to say wendy did this reading and it was weird but i don't want yeah it's sure. almost too personal yeah like <laughs> i want some credit but i mean and i really hope that i don't get a bunch of christians like calling me satanic which <laughs> you know and then probably not, reading. not my listeners hopefully did you know that the writer of aberration is like you know because <laughs> it's it's not like that i mean i think it's at this point for me just a kind of intellectual mm -hmm. whatever no for sure 
I think that the culture has changed. Like, I don't see as many people getting as much, you know, because even I remember when I was like a teenager, it was like, uh, I think society has been more accepting of tarot probably since. Yeah. I can't That's imagine you having a tarot deck when you were a teenager, like. Um, well, and I had a, I mean, I had, situation, yeah. I had to hide it. Oh, definitely. Like even to this day, like if I, my mom, no, 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 she will, she will flip out like that's Satan. <laughs> um, you know, and I just, I don't see it that way, but, um, yeah, I had to hide it, but it was subversive. So like the interest, you know, for my, how I grew up, it was a subversive thing and, mm-hmm. um, but I took to it. It was a really crazy. Just like I, I just took took to the cards. Like not, you know, I never have liked the Ouija bar. I've never liked crystal balls. Uh, I did learn a little tea leaf reading at one point, and now I I know a little I Ching. But like of all the different things, like something uh, with the cards just kind of gelled gelled with me Uh, i really uh, like the i don't know if it's like union archetypes or something about it that the structure like i can wrap my head around it better than some of the other stuff there's a book that you might like uh called young and tarot um gosh i forget when it you know it's it's in the new eight but it in fact i have it like across the room but here but you might like that one if you like the union angle of the cards yeah i don't even know if that's it or if it's just something else but yeah like for sure i like how it's structured and the different illusions and meanings and so forth there's um there's a lot layered yeah no like layers and stuff yeah yeah wow damn that first reading though gosh dang it (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, I'm like, I mean, that's what I said. I said though, like, everyone sometimes it's like, whoa, there's no way I can explain how that just happened because I do under, I do know your topic, you know, but like, I just don't see how, I don't know how that happens. Um, those are very mm-hmm. specific cards, you know, like of all the cards you could have got on that topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those might be some of the most applicable ones you could have gotten. <laughs> Oh man, that's good stuff. <laughs> um, but cool. Uh, thanks, thanks so mm-hmm. much for doing this. Uh, like you know, taking the time and uh, and everything. Oh, I should thank you. I mean, I uh, I don't know how long it was, but I think that this is going to be such a really cool exploration of Ghostbusters. I I I I hope so. I mean, yeah, like. Yeah, I th- I I can envision like just random Ghostbusters pe- fans like that are not at all noited or whatever stumbling on this, you know, mm. which will be crazy. Like just a, a new, all I of a sudden you'll have like Ghostbusters fans. <laughs> One thing I I am concerned like I just I know like a lot of your listeners are like you know, that are my mutuals on Twitter like that they they know a lot more about some of these topics that I was talking about, you know, much more than I know. I just know that I am like fascinated with Ghostbusters. So I, 
I do apologize for like if I sound stupid at any point it's because there is a lot of this was like a either a crash course of new information or like a re looking at stuff I haven't looked at in like a decade. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely know the feeling. Like, I feel like I'm perpetually like some of my listeners are like <laughs> very, some of them are like very hyper specialized knowledge. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I, I read one book on that. <laughs> but like, I think that like uh, being so interested in it, I think they make allowances and are quite generous when that happens. And I think it, I, I don't think you sounded stupid at all. So. Um, all right. Thank you again so much. This was super, super fun. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And I love that it's like a year later after the last one. And
ain't afraid of no ghosts. You just want some more I think you better call 